Well, good morning, church. How are y'all today? Good. Well, it's good to see you here today. We've had a really busy weekend at First Baptist Arlington. Most weekends are busy here. But uh, I know on Friday night, we had 129 moms and little girls, I believe, here for Mama daughter pajama party. Isn't that right? Isn't that what we had? Any of y'all come to that, uh, ladies? Y'all had a good time. We heard you had a lot of fun, so I'm glad you got to. Yesterday, we had several hundred of you here for children's basketball, a lot of parents, grandparents. Um, Of course, you know, uh, we have a granddaughter in that league and shining really brightly, you know, actually. A lot of college recruiters already talking to us. It's a whole nother, it's a whole thing, y'all. It is what it is. But anyway, we love watching these kids playing basketball. They're having so much fun and learning, learning about friendship. They're learning how to be on a team. They're learning about the, what it means to follow Jesus. So all these coaches that are working with our basketball players, thank y'all for what you're doing. We started a new ministry yesterday. Our uh, faith-driven entrepreneur ministry began yesterday. We had over 60 people here for that, and it was really, really good. So amen. We were grateful for it, excited about it. Thank y'all for your hard work and what you're doing. Anybody here, in the first service we had several, but anybody here that was a member of this church in 1959? Anybody? Okay, I see a couple of y'all that are not telling the truth, but <laughs> Dr. Caffey, you were, right? So, well, I want to thank y'all um, because in 1959, y'all put in some boilers to heat our building. We want to thank you for it, and uh, we uh, have been using them for a long time, and one of them failed on us yesterday, uh, one of the pipes from one of them, and, uh, but I think it's pretty good, don't you? 1959 to, uh, what is this, 2022? And uh, so yesterday we were scrambling our ops team and uh, Polk Mechanical spent the day here yesterday with our folks and on into the evening because we didn't have heat, we didn't have water. We're a little nervous about today, but guess what? They got it fixed last night, so thank God for that. So thank you all for your hard work getting us ready. So. So it's a busy day around here yesterday. It was kind of interesting. And uh, I drove by here last night, and it looked like a Polk Mechanical um, Conference. Uh, All their vehicles were here, uh, but they were here uh, dedicated to get everything ready so we could be here today to enjoy our facilities again. So we're grateful for that. Well, if you've been a part of our conversation at all here this year, you know that our theme for 2022 is re, dot, dot, dot. And this year is about re everything. We are exploring different biblical words that begin with that prefix. We're also looking at our theological vocabulary, words that begin with that prefix. And so um, we're going to turn a corner, as Kurt mentioned. Uh, Next week really begins, next Sunday begins our Lenten season. Actually, it starts Wednesday. And our theme for Easter this year is redeem. And we'll start Wednesday night. So I want to invite you back Wednesday night for an Ash Wednesday worship service at 6 o'clock. And uh, we're going to gather here for that time. And we would love for all of you to come and be a part of it as we launch our season together. And this year as we think about redemption, we're going to um, encourage our church to further 
a culture of evangelistic sensitivity. And so we will be um, providing opportunities for you for training as we think about sharing the gospel with our community. So as we get toward the end of the season, we're going to have yard signs for all of you to put in your yard for the last three weeks or so of the Easter season or two weeks, whatever it is. And the sign is going to say, Easter, why does it matter? And you'll have a QR code on that sign that will take people to a landing page. And on that landing page, we're going to provide an explanation of why Easter matters. And it'll be a presentation of the gospel in numerous languages. So if you have people in your community who maybe English is not their heart language, then we're going to provide the message of the gospel in numerous languages. And we're going to encourage you uh, in your own faith sharing to engage people in these spiritual conversations. We're going to begin our training next Sunday morning. So I'm looking forward to launching it with you. And I would just say this, when I look at my world today, my goodness, would, would you not say that this world today needs redeeming? Um, we've all been watching um, our uh, televisions and we've seen this invasion of the Ukraine. I don't know, um, I don't know much about the mind of a, of a dictator. Uh, I don't understand the need for senseless violence and the exertion of power. Uh, I don't live in that world. I know this, there are some 35 million Christians in the Ukraine. There are about 300,000 who are in the Baptist family in the Ukraine. We have over 2,000 Baptist churches there. And the overwhelming majority of our um, brothers and sisters there in Christ are not leaving their home. They have nowhere to go, most of them. And uh, it's, it's very challenging. So I want us to just pause for a moment and let's just pray for them and ask for God's protection and uh, his care for them. So would you join me as we pray? Father, today our hearts are burdened as we see the events unfolding on the other side of the world. And on the one hand, we, um, we feel very distant from it and perhaps somewhat helpless to do anything physically. And so today, Lord, we call on the only weapons that we have, and those are spiritual weapons. And we ask you to bring light into the darkness. We ask you, Lord, first of all, on behalf of our brothers and our sisters in Christ in the Ukraine, we pray for their protection, Lord, and for boldness and for courage. We've already been inspired by some of the courageous acts we've seen. For leaders of churches and ministries there, Lord, missionaries who are working there, we know these are very difficult days. And so we just ask you to protect them, guide them, help them to stay faithful to you in the midst of this time. We pray for our world leaders, that you would impart wisdom to them, that they can bring uh, pressure to bear to help bring about peace. And we ask you, Lord, to do just that. We ask you to intervene miraculously and bring a stop to the endless violence. We ask you, Lord, to spare people's lives and their livelihoods and somehow bring restoration. Um, and we just are hopeful. And so, Lord, we'll be faithful to pray 
And we trust that you'll do what only you can do. And we just come to you today on behalf of our brothers and sisters and all the people that are in harm's way right now. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you for that, and we'll continue to pray. Well, you know, this winter season, which we're bringing to an end today, is a season of reflection. That's been our theme for this season. Reflect. And we have primarily been reflecting upon the 23rd Psalm. So we're going to bring it to a conclusion today, Psalm 23. And we're going to focus on that last phrase. And uh, I've entitled the message today, At Home. And we'll end this conversation today. So let's look at what David has written in the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. That's the phrase we're going to focus on today as well as, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Well, this morning I'll begin with where we basically have begun every Sunday morning during this series, and that is sheep need a shepherd. You know, sheep have no natural defense mechanisms, and sheep also have a herd mentality. Sheep are prone to wonder to get lost. Sheep are very dependent. Sheep need an owner, a manager, a protector, a guide, um, a one who provides for them. So the bottom line is, when the Bible paints that imagery of us being the flock of God, we need a shepherd. I came across this story years ago. I've saved it. I may have used it with you before. It's, it, it, was a, it was a story out of the Washington Post from July of 2005. And the title of the article is Sheep in Mass Uicide, which kind of caught my eye. And what happened was there were a group of shepherds in Javos, Turkey, representing 26 families. They had 1,500 sheep together as families. And several of the shepherds were enjoying breakfast together one day, just outside of Javos, Turkey. And much to their surprise, one of the sheep just jumped off of a cliff right in front of them. And while they were looking at one another, trying to take in the shock of that, another one jumped, and then another one jumped. And before they could get out there, all 1,500 sheep had jumped off the cliff. 450 of the sheep died. According to the articles I read it, once you got about midway, the bodies were piling up, so the landing was a little softer. So the rest of them were injured, but the first 450 died. So they interviewed one of the shepherds, one of the owners. His name is Nevzat Bayam, and he said, there is nothing we can do. We've lost everything. Well, they lost, a, it was about $100,000, give or take, you know, back in 2005, whatever that would be today. And then the, the question was, why did this happen? And they had no answer. They said, you know, sheep, just do these kinds of things. Well, when I read that story, and, and I've reflected on it many times, obviously, here's what I'd say. On the one hand, as sad as that story is, for me, it's actually a parable 
of sorts. Because I live in a culture where I watch people jump off of cliffs, metaphorically, all the time. They make poor decisions. They are not thoughtful. They're not really looking for outside intervention, divine intervention. They're just going their own way. And it's amazing to me how often others will just follow them off a cliff. And it happens over and over and over and over. And lives are destroyed and people make huge mistakes and they'll repeat those mistakes and others will follow suit. And we just see people trying the same wrong things all the time. It's amazing to me. It's almost like bodies are piling up at the bottom of the cliff. And I'm wondering, are you not paying attention? Do you not recognize you need a shepherd? Need someone to guide you in making some of these decisions because you can make such drastic mistakes. Well, so with that said, I want us to look at the 23rd Psalm today in its entirety since we're finishing it today and then we'll focus on that last phrase. When I, when I look at this text, this is what I'd say about it. Our life is a pilgrimage of faith. You know, I've reread Philip Keller's book, A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm. Some of you have read it. Keller's convinced me about the, the, the take on this psalm. You know, some, some scholars today, some theologians, when they read Psalm 23, what they'll say is, is that the first four verses, uh, the imagery is a shepherd and sheep. You come to verse, that's David as a shepherd. You come to verse five, and some scholars say, now this is David as a king, preparing a table, anointing with oil, overflowing cups. That speaks more of hospitality, and so we have both David the shepherd and David the king speaking in this psalm. But Philip Keller's convinced me, I don't think that's true. I'm okay if that's how you interpret it, but I'm convinced that this is really about a shepherd and sheep, the entire psalm. And it's Keller's contention that Psalm 23 is actually a year in the life of sheep. And he walks you through this psalm from that perspective. So the, the sheep are at home, the shepherd is there with them, Green pastures, still waters, those kinds of things are there at home. And then it comes time for the sheep to journey and make their way elsewhere so they can save the land at home. So they make their way uh, following the shepherd and he guides them in just the right path. However, as they make their way to the highlands in the summer, they've got to walk through these valleys, these vadis as they're called in the Holy Land. And predators are there. So sometimes they're called the valley of the shadow of death. The tablelands, those summer pasture lands or tables that are prepared for the sheep uh, so they can eat even though their predators are all around them so they're in the presence of their enemies. There's this, this journey all year long, particularly in the summer where they have these parasites and all kinds of troubling illnesses and so the shepherd is caring for them. And then eventually providing, making sure they have all they need to eat and drink. And so guess what the, shep the sheep do? They follow the shepherd home. Why wouldn't they? If the shepherd is good, He's fed them well, he's cared for them, he then brings them home. And so that's how the psalm ends, that the sheep now have followed their shepherd all the way back home, and they will be there with him. Well, of course, he's a good shepherd. And so that imagery speaks to me, and I really think that's the essence of this psalm. But there's more going on in this psalm than just the relationship between a, a shepherd and sheep. You see, the 23rd psalm, it's very endearing to us. And it's incredibly enduring. 
I think one of the reasons for that is it's a thing of beauty. It's, it's a beautiful poem. It's beautiful in its brevity. It's not the book of Romans. It, it doesn't explain the atonement and the brokenness of humanity and, and God's answer with the great plan of redemption. It, it's not the book of Isaiah. It doesn't offer this full sweep of human history and, and God's cosmic acts and his intervention. It's, it's, it's not that. But there's just something about it. it, it it's, it's a thing of beauty. It's like Handel's Messiah. It, it, it's like Michelangelo's Pieta. You just, you just stand and gaze at it, and you can just admire it for its beauty. And I think that's part of its enduring quality to us. But I would also say it's even more than that. The reason I think it's so powerful is because I think metaphorically, it actually outlines our lives I believe that if, you, if you're honest, you can, you can look at Psalm 23 and you can just hear your story as you read this poem. You think about it, if you've met the Lord Jesus as your shepherd, then you know what it's like to have that personal, intimate care of his presence in your life. You know what it's like when he meets your needs and you have God's provision. You, you know what it's like to have that refreshing work of God in your life where you're in those those moments where there are green pastures and there's plenty to eat and there's plenty to drink and it's refreshing to you. And you know what it's like to call upon him and ask him to guide you and to make good decisions and he guides you in the right paths. You also know what it's like to be in those dark valleys, those difficult days when, when things are not like you would like for them to be. You also know sometimes when he, he has you in a place and, and he chooses not to change your circumstances, but he provides a table for you, even in the presence of all the struggle and the, the foes that are around you. You know about the anointing work of God and his, his, his intimate care for you and his provision for you personally. And you know what it's like in the passage today for you to just dwell in his presence. And so it's it's. It's almost like it's, a, it's an outline of a life of faith as pilgrims. I, I would say this to you personally about the 23rd Psalm. One of the reasons that the 23rd Psalm has endeared itself to me is because I can actually see my life through the lens of the 23rd Psalm. It's been a, a personal journey for me. So when I read those words, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. I take that very personally. Cindy and I were young in our marriage, actually brand new uh, married. We had moved 700 miles from home to come to seminary in Fort Worth. We had left our family behind and, and we were very close to our family, but we were ready to demonstrate our independence from our family, that we could, we could live on our own. And we both got jobs here and. And uh, I started seminary, and we were renting a little apartment over in Fort Worth, not far from Southwestern, and we were broke. We had no money, literally. We had no food in the pantry. We had no furniture in the apartment. We had a, we had a, a kitchen set, no, no furniture in our living room. And, uh, and we literally um, were struggling. And we were sitting at our table one day. We had some peanut butter, half a loaf of bread maybe, and we began to pray and cry at the table and ask, what are we doing? We felt so alone. One temptation was, let's call our parents. And, but then we said, no, we're not going to do that. We, we want to we wanna live on our own. And so we prayed and we told the Lord we, um, we were empty 
And we literally had nothing to eat, and we had another couple of weeks or so before we got paid and weren't sure what to do. We had visited a little church a week or so earlier called uh, Park Temple Baptist Church, a little bitty church over there in Fort Worth. And we met a little couple there, Jamie and Sandra Hill. Didn't know them at all. They had been to our house one time when we had been with them in a Sunday school class. And anyway, so while we're praying, we finished praying, we're crying, we're feeling like we've been forgotten. There's a knock at the door, Sandra Hill. We go to the door and it's Sandra. She says, hey, how are y'all? We said, we're fine. Uh, and she said, you know, she and Jamie, older than us, they'd come to seminary later in life. They had three boys. She said, you know, I was at the grocery store today and God told me to buy groceries for you guys. And so if you'll come on down, let's come unload them. We go down the steps of our apartment, y'all, and look in the back of that station wagon. Y'all can Google that because you don't know what that is. Um, and uh, popped open that back and all those groceries. And, and Sandra starts handing them to me and to Cindy. And, and y'all, we were like zombies. We, 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 we were stunned. We didn't know what to say. We were dazed. There we are praying, literally in that moment. And Sandra Hill delivers groceries. And we're going up the stairs and stocking our pantry. And, and then she looks at us and says, okay, I gotta go. See y'all later. Walks out the door and there we stand. You think we've ever forgotten that? You see, when I, when I read, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing, I, I think about those moments. You know, we, um, time rocked on, we were still young, uncertain in our ministry, living here in Fort Worth, a little more established. But then we, uh, we received the news back home. We were very close to our family in those days. And uh, we felt distanced from them. And uh, my aunt and my uncle and my grandmother were in a terrible car wreck back home. And my aunt was killed, my favorite aunt, Aunt Louise. We named our daughter Hannah Louise after her. She was my mama's sister, and she married my daddy's brother. You can do that back in Alabama, where we're from. And um, so, but my grandmother was in the hospital, not expected to live. And then Cindy's mother was diagnosed with cancer, terminal diagnosis and we found ourselves as a young couple uncertain about our future not really sure what God was really calling us to do and we felt the pull of home and um, and we decided perhaps it was time to leave seminary for me to go back to med school and and just pursue a different life and I told the Lord I'll I'll be a good doctor I'll be a good church member and so we made those plans, we went back home and for a little while and visited with folks to see if we could reconnect to our old life. And, but you know, God, in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death, Cindy's mom would die later with cancer. Um, it was in the midst of all of that, feeling the pull of home and that God sent people into our lives. Like Dr. Jack Gray at Southwestern Seminary and I shared with Dr. Gray all that I just shared with you. I said, you know, with all of this that's happening, we, we need to go back, and I just need to go back to that life. And Dr. Gray came out from behind his desk, and he sat down and looked at me, and he said, well, are you, are you called? And I said, well, yeah. He said, so you're called? Yes, sir. He said, so you're gonna leave your calling? To go do what? Well, 
It wasn't long after that we get a phone call from Paul Hallam asking us to come preach in view of a call at Jimtown, Oklahoma. We'd never even been to Jimtown, Oklahoma. They were already asking me to come be their preacher. And uh, we went, and God opened that door for us. We, we felt the death around us all these miles from home, but God intervened at a crucial time. He sent just the right people through the church, through relationships, and he spoke into our lives during those days. You know, years later, we had some hard days in ministry, and uh, we were at another church, and it was difficult, betrayed by a couple of staff members, some church members who were very accusatory, sharing things about me that weren't true. It was hard. We had some church members who came together and, and began to escrow their money, and instead of tithing to the church, they gave it to a fund, an escrow account at a bank, and they sent a letter to the finance committee and said, as long as Dennis Wiles is the pastor of this church, we'll never give another thin dime. We'll have this money collected, and once he leaves, we'll bring it to the church where it belongs. And I remember the chairman of the finance committee bringing that letter into my office and sharing with me this decision that church members had, had made. And then in the midst of all of that, God opened doors of ministry for Cindy and for me. And the next thing you know, a table was prepared for us in the presence of our enemies. <laughs> and it was an, a memorable time and season in our lives you see, I guess what I'd say to you is when I, when I read the 23rd Psalm, I'm not just reading words on a page. I see people. I think back of episodes in my life. I recount experiences and give testimony to how I don't know what it's like to be a shepherd and a sheep in terms of taking care of agricultural, um, that agricultural world. I'm a city boy. But I know what it's like to have a shepherd in my own life, and I know what it's like to be one as a pastor. And, and so the 23rd Psalm to me is not just something I've memorized, it's something I've lived. Does that make sense to y'all? Could you not give testimony today? Could, could you not recount some episodes in your life right now where God has revealed himself to you in these phrases captured so poetically by David? Couldn't you? I feel like you could. You know, it's... It's amazing to me. I know what it's like to experience these days. I've walked through the valley of the shadow of death. I've walked through it with some of you. I've been there with you when your husband has died, your wife has died, a grandmother, a granddad, a child, a brother, a sister. I know what it's like to think about your own mortality. I know what it's like to be with family and to see people live through it. I've also seen God's hand at work during those dark days in people's lives. And so I know this testimony is more than my testimony. This is our testimony. That's why Psalm 23 is so rich. It's not just beautiful. It is. It's not just something worth memorizing. It is. It is, to me, a pilgrimage of life that we've lived together. And so when I read the 23rd Psalm, I read it as a testimony. How about you? It's powerful, isn't it? Well, you know, when, when David ends this psalm, he ends it so beautifully. As I said, you've got these sheep that have been out and they've been cared for, and now it's time to come back home. And David says this, a couple of things for me and you today. First of all, we're being followed. I love that. David says, 
we're being followed. Goodness and love. Those two words in Hebrew, goodness, is the word tov in Hebrew. It's hard to understand that word in English. It means health and fullness and goodness. It's the embodiments of the presence of God. You know, when God created in Genesis 1, creates the seed-bearing plants, and all of a sudden, he knows it's working. He says, behold, this is good. Tov, it's good. Joseph was in Egypt, and he told his brothers, you intended all this for evil, but guess what God has done? God has accomplished tov, good. And so here's what the Bible is telling us is that God himself is good. Aren't you glad? Let's just stop right there. Aren't you glad? He's great, right? Didn't we used to pray that little prayer? Did y'all learn that prayer? God is great. God is good. Aren't you glad he's great and good? Because there's a whole lot of people that are great. They just ain't good. He's great and good. Aren't you glad? And everywhere God goes, guess what he brings? He brings his goodness. He brings his health. He brings his fullness. He brings his presence. So, so when he's your shepherd, guess what he brings to you? His goodness. And that's what follows you. And David says, if that's not enough, his love, his hesed is the Hebrew word. You, you have a hard time with that word, putting it into English. It's one of those words that's so pregnant with meaning. It's difficult to get our minds around it. That's why when you're reading your Bible, you'll notice that that word hesed, if you do your homework, it's translated so many different ways into English. Sometimes it's love, sometimes it's mercy, sometimes it's faithfulness, sometimes it's loyal love, sometimes it's covenant love. In other words, this is God's word. When God told Israel that he was gonna be a covenant, he was gonna make a covenant with them, he said, I'm going to love you. Hesed is that word. It's his covenant love. It's his loyal love. It's his unbridled love. It's his faithful love. David says, we're being followed because of our shepherd with goodness and love. Praise God. <laughs> that's, that's on the horizon for the children of God. It's a part of our everyday reality. And then one other word in this text, and that is our destiny. Our destination, I would say. Our certain. Look, at what, look how he ends the song. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's a powerful statement. It's beautiful imagery. What, what does he mean by that? Is he talking about the temple? Well, some think so, but the temple wasn't in existence when David wrote this psalm. David never saw the temple. The house of the Lord is a powerful metaphor for the Old Testament writers. Eventually, of course, it would refer to the temple, but it was so much more than that. It just represented the very presence of God. It meant to be at home with God. And so your destiny is what's happening to you right now. And so your destiny is certain. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is God is present with you right now in your daily life. You don't have to wait for one day. He's already here. And your destination is to be with him forever. Hallelujah. And so, yes, we're with the Lord. He's with us every day. His goodness and his love are following us. He is a part of our lives right now. That's our destiny. Live into it. But your destination is certain because we will spend eternity with our God who loves us so powerful. As I said, a beautiful, rich message in this psalm. You know, when I first started preaching, I came across this story. It's not a true story. It's, a, it's fiction, but it communicates something. And the story goes like this. There was a, an orator who was uh, sharing various speeches that he had memorized, and there was a crowd there to hear him, and he was very eloquent and did a wonderful job. And when he finished, he just said, I have not shared everything that I've memorized. Maybe, perhaps some of you have a request. And as the story goes, there's an elderly minister in the back of the room. He raises his hand and said, would you quote the 23rd Psalm? 
and the order said, I'll do it under one condition. If when I'm finished, you quote the 23rd Psalm. And the minister said, okay. And he sat back down. And so the man began, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And when he finished, beautiful diction, great delivery. The crowd applauded. He then said, now, sir, why don't you quote the 23rd Psalm? And as the story goes, this elderly minister stood up and said, the Lord is my shepherd. And I shall not want. When he finished, tears, not applause. And the orator said, you know the difference? I know the 23rd Psalm. He, he knows the shepherd. You see, my hope for you, it's not that you'll know the 23rd Psalm. <laughs> I want you to know the shepherd. And then you'll live the 23rd Psalm. May it be so. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, we, we are grateful, Lord, for the testimony of this psalm, the beauty of it, the richness of it, the facts that are contained in it, that we have experienced you as our shepherd, and we, we love you, and we're grateful for your love for us. And Lord, there are those within the sound of my voice right now who need to know the good shepherd. I ask you, Lord, to give them the faith and the courage to turn to you and experience you in their daily lives. I thank you, Lord, that we can share the testimony that we have actually lived the truths of this psalm and we've seen your hand of provision and for that we're incredibly grateful. So Lord, I lift up these people today. May they find their way to you and discover you to be the good shepherd. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.